Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's Jason here. And I think you know by now, but the heart of this podcast and our ministry is to engage Canadian pastors, fuel them as they fuel the church. It's about investing and coming alongside pastors. It's about a picture of us being in this together. And we do it in lots of different ways through resources and media like this. But also we have some special programs that we do. And one of them is the Church Leaders Incubator. It's a group of just under 20 pastors who are spending over a year and a half together on a learning journey, shared learning, different experiences. It's an amazing community dedicated together. And twice a month we gather on Zoom, one time to gather in the Word with Daryl Johnson. And then once a month we bring in a guest speaker somebody who's leading a church or a ministry somewhere around the world that can help us as we work out what it means to lead well in our context. And the point of that is a lot of conversation and questions and response. And every once in a while, we have a conversation that we feel needs to be shared more broadly. We always edit it because some of it's so contextual to that small group. But today's one of those instances. A couple months ago, we had Darren Roundsend, pastor from the Garden Church in Long Beach. And he came on and he shared with us And what we're sharing with you today is clips and excerpts from that time together. So you're going to hear some different things. Like, for example, you're going to hear some of the members of the incubator ask questions. I'll come in throughout and maybe set context if needed. And some of the themes that we hit, I just feel are so important for our time. Things like pastoral vocation, but also holiness in that calling. Talking about what it means to really be spirit empowered in our ministry and leadership and unique things like covenantal community in our church. The work that Darren and his team are part of in Long Beach is so compelling and helpful for me. And I wanted to invite all of you into the conversation that we had. So I hope this serves you and encourages you today. Today's episode is made possible by our friends at the Canadian Bible Society. We wanna highlight a resource they developed called the Bible Course. It's a course that was created to help the average person engage with God's word in a deeper way. The Bible course includes eight weeks of video teaching that are all designed to connect the events, books, and characters of scripture together into one big story. This course can easily be run in small groups and even as a great follow-up to something like Alpha if you're currently running that in your church. To check out the first video for free and to learn more about the course, just head to biblesociety.ca slash the Bible course and you'll find all you need. That's biblesociety.ca slash the Bible course. Okay, Darren, um, I love, uh, I'll tell, I'll introduce everyone to you really quick. So what, this is a group of you, you know, you've heard that we've been journeying together for a number of months now. We're all leading churches across Canada. Denominations represented here. Some of us are independent Wesleyan churches, Pentecostal churches, Baptist churches across the board. Geographically, you've got literally coast to coast here. Uh, Tia's not on uh, today, but Tia, who's usually here, she's in uh, Bombay, Newfoundland. John Lamos is in Grand Manan, New Brunswick. He's in the sailor's hat there. And then all the way to some of us who are, there's people in Alberta um, and Manitoba and in British Columbia. So you got the whole country here and um, we're trying to grow in character, expand our imagination, grow in the craft of leading churches. And um, once a month we spend time with Daryl. So in the word, he's moving us through the book of Matthew, which isn't bad. And then once a month we have like a guest come. And so some of the friends, Darren, that we have have come and visited here and um, really appreciate you making time to be with us, man. Yeah, bro. Love it. 
love being a part of it. And I love uh, what you guys are doing. It's really cool to see a cohort of people going after it. So, so cool. Thanks for having me. So here's what I'd love to do, like, and take your time because we've got lots of time. We'll do like a mix of like, hear from you on some things. And then we'll break into small groups, do some chatting about it. Um, and then come back with questions that emerge from that time of processing. So it's not, yeah. you know, it's like we've got to, we can do two rounds of that potentially. And so uh, just to kick us off, like, and really take your time, I'd love to hear um, really the story, your story, but then also the garden story. And uh, you can start as far back as you want. Um, but I'd love to have everyone hear about that. Yeah. Um, well, I I live in Long Beach, California. So I'm, I'm the most southern city in LA County and on the board of Orange County. I grew up in Orange County. If you've heard of Orange County, it's <clears throat> a beautiful you know, place in Southern California. We have the best weather um, and lots of beaches. So I grew up in this uh, pleasant place, a cessationist, grew up in an academic household. My dad's PhD, came to faith as a young boy and then left the faith when my parents divorced for a season. And then I had a radical encounter with God when I was at university. Um, there was a ministry in Isla Vista, Santa Barbara that passed out cheeseburgers to drunk college students. And I was a drunk college student and I, um, heard God say, what are you doing? And I, I knew it was God and I gave my life back to Jesus, um, in, uh, my college apartment with a bunch of drug addicts and just crazy people that were my roommates. Um, and I, I left Santa Barbara and I, I, I went to a church called Rock Harbor and I moved back home and I, all my friends were going to this new church um, that was vibrant and Todd Proctor was the pastor and, and um, I was 19 years old and I discovered there um, the scriptures and the kingdom of God and the real Jesus and I had grown up in a very kind of conservative um and I don't think it was intentional, just like, just this, my, my faith went from my parents to exploring and falling in love with Jesus. And I felt called into ministry. I was, I went to uh, Vanguard University, which is a Assemblies of God. And while I was at Vanguard, I, I fell in love with serving the poor and just serving. I just, I think my, my nature going from living in Santa Barbara doing all sorts of terrible things. I just felt like I had to earn my salvation. And so I was just doing all sorts of things. Fast forward, um, I ended up getting hired at Rock Harbor. Um, I'm engaged to my wife. I was 22 years old. And I go to London, where we go to a church plant of Holy Trinity in Bromptons. And they're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and talking about Alpha and how all these atheists are becoming Christian. And they're not just becoming Christian from Alpha. They're like, there's like words of knowledge happening on subways. People are getting healed. And, and I was shocked. I was like, wait, I thought this was for third world country. Like I, I, I had a theology at that point that that was like, yes, the Holy Spirit's for today. Yes. Like God does these things. But I was in a mega church of like 7,000 people. And it was pretty much like worship teaching, throw your money in the basket. And they were doing all sorts of missional things, but there was no real sense of like, there's an expectation that the presence of God is going to empower ordinary life. And the things of the New Testament are for today. And so that we were in the basement of one of the churches and the pastor's like, hey, well, why don't we all pray for you? And there's a bunch of pastors from all over the world. And the pastor came over and he read my mail. I stood there with my hands like this, closed my eyes. And I literally thought my, he like was reading my journal. I looked, 
I, I broke, I, you know, broke the model and I looked to see if my journal was open and it was sure enough, it was, you know, covered up and under my Bible. And I experienced the presence of God. I would say theologically, I was filled again. I was baptized in the spirit at that moment. Again, I, I don't know how it had, I don't know how I have categories now, but I had experienced this radical outpouring of God's love and it changed my life. Um, the next day I went to India and I heard God say, clear as day, plant a church in Long Beach. So a year later, my wife and I, after we were a year into our marriage, we started a church in downtown Long Beach, which was at the time, the second most diverse city in the United States. Um, and we had pre I had preached three sermons in my entire life. We had gone from a 7,000 person church to parachuting in the middle of this inner city to, um, young 20 somethings with no experience leading a church at the time, there wasn't any strategy. There wasn't like church Inc. Um, there wasn't like a, you know, any of these networks of helping you church plant. When I started, it would have been 14 years ago before we were, we were doing it. And it was basically like, all right, we're starting a church Sunday night. And there were three of us. And then there were five of us. And then there were 12 of us. And there were six of us. And then there were 20. And then there were five. It was just this brutal journey of planting a church in an area with incredible need. Um, one out of five in our city live in poverty. 54% of families are single mom families. Eight out of 10 black families in our community don't have a father in the home. Um, you know, our greatest threat to our youth ministry is not churches, it's gangs. And so our, my experience of kind of like uh, upper middle class ministry was just thrown out the window. It was basically memorial services, beach uh, or city cleanups, group home ministry, uh, rescue mission. And it was amazing. It was the greatest seminary I could have experienced and it changed my life. But while we were doing this missional church, um, our journey uh, was basically, we want to be a charismatic church for lack of a better word. We, we want to become a church that operates in the power of the Holy Spirit. Cause we know like we can't just do the social work. That's yeah. We're going to partner with the city in these. And we, we do that now, but we knew we need power from God um, to set captives free, to heal the sick, to, to um, bring people home that were lost. And I, I it wasn't enough to just go on with church as normal. Um, my life had been radically changed. So I was, was setting out to take a bunch of cautious conservative Christians who were basically worshiping the Father, Son, Holy Bible. And I wanted to introduce them to the power and presence of God. And so that took years. And I can tell you about that later, but over the last 13 years, you know, we went from a small church to what we are now, but a very much, you know, uh, you know, presence focused church where we, we, we teach scriptures and we, we teach the scripture and we uh, lead in the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and it's been this wild journey. Uh, I can tell you about the, the burnout. I can tell you about the heartbreak. I can tell you about, obviously, you guys have lived as pastors in the last two years. I would say nothing prepared us for the last two years. It's been one of the hardest seasons of our lives. I, um, and the amount of deaths we've had because of COVID, because we have, you know, inner city, we had families who lost six to eight family members. Um, entire generations just wiped out um, because of COVID. While we're, you know, facing the crisis, the people in our church were like, COVID's not real. 
we shouldn't have masks. Like we're, because we're in, or- we're right on the board of Orange County and LA County. So we are, we were in this real crazy, you know, microcosm of the United States, which um, I know you guys have some of that as well. But so my journey has been uh, God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things out of obedience, through obedience. Um, I feel like the, the message of my life is he's just, he wants his church back. Um, he wants his church to be filled with his presence. He wants pastors, and I'll talk about this in a second, uh, to live out of a vocational holiness. And I'm going to go off on this today because of what we're experiencing globally right now in the church. Um, but I, I really believe that there is this opportunity right now where God is doing something significant. He's shaking the Western church. And it's him shaking it and he's, he's doing something to prepare for what's next. And he's looking for men and women who will yield and surrender to the spirit. And I would say if there's anything uh, that has set our community apart is we just continue to say, come Holy spirit. Um, We will follow you out of radical obedience, wherever you lead. My wife and I have lived this way um, from moving from Orange County to Long Beach to selling everything. And, um, and following him into obscurity to uh, just keep keep saying yeah. So that's that's kind of my story. I, I, I love scripture. I love the spirit. I love formation and I love mission. And I believe that what the church, uh, the world needs is a, a community who's covenanted together and leaders who are consecrated. Um, and those things I think can all happen together in an ecosystem of a healthy church. And um, I think there's a new thing God's doing, and we get to be a part of it. I have two kids, uh, uh, eight and four. My wife homeschools them. And um, my wife and I planted the church together, so she leads the church with me. She's not, uh, she hates the microphone. She's an introvert. She's an extremely intelligent, business-savvy, financial guru. Um, and so she's, she's systems and operations. And so we've, we've been able to establish all of that stuff, so. Anyways, that's me. That's a little bit of our church. There you go. I love it, man. Thank you so much. I could listen to you talk all day. Um, really quickly, can you say that line again? Uh, a people covenanted and leaders consecrated. Yeah. yeah. So as we are praying over the last couple of years, um, two years really, trying to understand with all of the cultural crises we see, and I think what one of the observations I have is that COVID and all of the things around COVID, the political, the all the things, revealed our immaturity as Christians. Like it just produced this immaturity that was always there. It just made sense. So people left the church. People, I argued about everything. Um, I remember one day I had two meetings back to back. One of them was uh, a guy in our church who gave half a million dollars annually. And he was like, you're a woke pastor because you talk about justice. And he was a friend for 10 years. And he, he's like, we're leaving because you're I'm like, well, can we talk about it? And he didn't want to talk about it. And then the next meeting was a guy in our church who said, um, you're not, you're too conservative. You don't, um, you don't have enough racial diversity in the church. And we're leaving because you don't have, you know, 50% of your preaching is mostly you and, or you're, you're preaching the most and the other guy's white and we want to have more people. And so it was literally like, in a, in a day, it was a symbol of like, this is where we're at as a church. Like friends are like making these issues, which are important to me, um, the, the issue. And I, so as we revealed the immaturity, I realized there's a couple things going on. One, 
we don't know what concept, we don't know what covenant is anymore. And if you study the scriptures, you'll, you'll see themes of there's something about covenant, this idea that we're, we can disagree on a lot of things, but we're held together around Jesus as Lord raised from the dead. And so I think part of the immaturity is the fact that we haven't been bold to train a new family in covenant. So we're, we're, we've never done membership. We've never done um, like covenant membership. So we, we just said, you know, moving forward, we're going to, we're going to train people what it means to live in covenant friendship and community and really teach people healthy relationships. So that's number one. And second thing is that you see very clearly, and this is a cultural crisis in the church, that leadership is built on ego, built on communication, built on your ability to gather. No one's asking when they go to your church, hey, are you are you living the, the scriptures out? Do you love people well? Like, how well are you loving me? Like, what is your, your character underneath? Like, we just justify the means uh, for the ends. And it's so par- apparent right now. And so for us, we, we're, we are doing, we're, we're starting everything over. And we're saying, if you want to be in leadership at Garden, you have to live a consecrated lifestyle, which I could go into as part of what I want to talk about. Um, and so we just believe consecrated leadership is required um, of leadership within the church. Beautiful. Um, we're going to, I really want to spend a real considerable time talking about that. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask one more question. We're going to go into breakout groups, come back, ask you a few questions from the whole group. And then after that, we'll give a whole chunk to that pastoral holiness consecration conversation. Right. I feel all right. Sweet. I love it. That's man. perfect. Um, and we got lots of time. We're not in a rush. Um, Great. I'd love just to, if you could, because we're all kind of in different church contexts. Some of us are leading <coughs> new churches. Some of us have inherited churches with 50 years plus of history. And, uh, but I think there's lots to learn from your church journey. And so like, how, how old is, is, is the garden? Is it 12 years now? Yeah. So it will be 13, officially 13 in October, but we started like soft launch ministry in 2008. So okay. four, 14. Can you give us some of the plot points on that journey? And even just some of the like, uh, forms and approaches plot point. Cause I think, and again, just take, take, take however many minutes you want, but I think like over those years, there was like your own ecclesiology being formed and then also some experimentation and different influences that you're trying to say, like, how do we empower house yeah. churches and small groups and Sundays? What's the role of that? And I think that actually like the journey you went on is a really cool story of the things we're all wrestling with in different ways. So I just love to hear right. the journey of the garden over those years. Yeah, so we we started in as a church um, inspired by the Alan Hirsch missional model, and we were so we were deconstructing the mega church which I came out of, and it was essentially like we're going to serve the poor, we're not going to gather Sunday, we're going to pray and do prayer walks and do monthly gatherings. You know, I was terrified to preach. That's part of the insecurity led to. The, the decisions. And oftentimes we don't realize this as leaders, our insecurities and our strengths will be the, the things we hold for structures. Um, and so when we started meeting the, the needs of the community, I was really excited because, you know, we were serving at this hospice for men who were um, living with HIV and AIDS. And they were like, all became Christian. They're like 18 of them. They're like, hey, we want to join your church when you become a real church. And I'm like, wait, what? Like we are a real church. 
He's like, no, 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 no. Like when you become a real church, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like a Sunday morning gathering. Like we want to join when you have a Sunday morning. I'm like, wait, like I'm deconstructing that. Like, and as it was like the, the most missional thing I could do as a, miss, a missionary to our city was to start a Sunday morning church. And that's what we did. It took me a hard, it took me a lot of like, uh, it took a lot to like, let go of my ideal. And I think this is what I want to say. Like one of the philosophies I have is don't have a vision for a church has, have a vision for a city. And when you have a vision for a city, and then when you have um, a vision for discipleship, the byproduct will be a beautiful church. Because oftentimes we come with these expectations of, well, church should look like this. And we get so stoked about like church, you know, structures and dynamic, and we're going to do these series and this, like you miss that actually you exist for this, the renewal of the space you're in and the processes you create for individual disciples. And I believe that process should include the CEO businessman with lots of kids, the stay at home moms, the college students, the, the divorcees, the single moms living in transitional housing and homeless. Like your discipleship philosophy should be inclusive enough for all of those to find their place. Um, and so that's, that's why for me in the beginning, it was like, we're just going to keep forming and allow the structures to shift as the spirit, um, moves us, but also as the, as we, uh, exegete our culture. And so as we exegeted our culture, we began to minister to the, to the city in unique ways. So we started a Sunday morning gathering. It grew. The structure of that was real basic. We just said, Hey, Sunday mornings are going to be a place for worship, a place for biblical teaching, a place for ministry time. Um, that was basically it. It was obviously fellowships can happen, but we, we just thought we're going to gather people to, to come into the presence of God. We're going to teach the scriptures and we're going we're gonna to minister to each other in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's never changed. We've always done that. And then we've always done, we thought, hey, we need to create a context for discipleship. Small groups are primary. That's the primary context. So we've done, in the last 14 years, we've done life groups, community groups, missional communities garden groups and then house churches um and now we're doing house churches and missional communities and we did digital communities during um covid so it was like we we and here's what i want to say from someone who has you know francis chan helped us in 2017-18 to launch house churches and we we're all about the house church movement and we we're doing house church we went from 75 garden groups that were meeting all over evangelizing in our city and 12 week uh, kind of rotations to 12 we went from 150 garden group leaders to uh, 40 house church pastors and 12 house church pastors in a year like we just we were like we're gonna go after this and that and we multiplied we we saw in two and a half years we saw house churches just multiplying we just grew but then covid hit and we couldn't meet in homes. And so we, we, we couldn't have 40 people in a home doing house searches. So we started these digital communities and formed it off of the uh, discipleship format. And so what I've learned is this over time, I'll just say these are more principles rather than structures, is that um, there's a story I read of Simpson College in Northern California. The, the architect built the new facility for uh, the college and they didn't lay any um, sidewalks. They didn't put concrete down for sidewalks. All they did was put grass in. And the architect said, what we'll do is once the natural pathways of people, as they've walked through the, the different buildings, we'll just lay cement from the natural pathways. And I think when it comes to church, 
structure should empower the spirit and structure should support where God's moving in the church. And oftentimes we create structures that we have to serve. And so I'm regularly challenging the structures we create um, for the sake of a better way of serving the people we have in the moment, um, the time we're in as a community for the next thing God's preparing us. So we're regularly, every year we're, we're deconstructing, hey, is this working? Why not? What is God doing in this moment? Well, we've done it for 12 years. Well, it doesn't matter to me. As long as like if it if it's worked 12 years, but God's saying this, or or maybe it's not working now, we have we we have to change that. So we do that with meetings. We have a staff of about 15. Um, we do that for meetings with in regards to staff. We do it with our job roles and job descriptions. We do it with our our trainings. We do it with everything. Um, we just always want to put everything on the table and say, how does this work? So, anyway, so we've done we've done um, a form of small group. We've done a form of Sunday gatherings. We've also had a very intentional um, uh, expression of formation. We've done spiritual formation from the beginning. We, we've had Dallas Willard preach at our church. We've, my mentor who's on staff is like a, a Daryl Johnson. Um, he's a professor at, at uh, Vanguard. He was discipled by Dallas, Dallas Willard. He's, he's 70. He's been on our staff from the beginning. So he's, he's the, you know, we've had spiritual formation as part of our ministry, and we've always had a form of mission, whether it's healing on the streets we do, whether it's um, laundry love, or we partner with the multi-service center in city. So we work with the city to help with homeless, homelessness and housing crisis and move-in ministries. And we do um, feeding programs. We do all sorts of things, but that's all coming out of this intentionality around organizing our resources around um, this one vision of on earth as it is in heaven. So everything flows to this reality of the kingdom of God breaking in. And we want to structure our people, which is are the greatest resources of our community around that mission. So we believe that formation and mission can coexist um, in the same way that the spirit and, and the word work together. So I guess, I don't know if that helps, but that those are just ideas around how we've structured. We've done alpha. We, uh, we've experimented with everything we possibly can because we, we have a heart to not recreate anything. We just want to, we want to, if we want to reach the lost, we're going to use the greatest vehicle to reach the lost. And Alpha has been that for us. So. Well, at this point in our conversation with Darren, we broke into small groups, had some conversation, reflected a little bit deeper. And I don't know what context you're in right now, if you're listening at home or while you're driving, but this might be a moment for you to pause. I know on podcasts like this or in conversations like this, it's a lot of themes and information. And I find it helpful to pause, consolidate, reflect, chew on some of the themes. And so if you want to pause it right now, you can do it. But that being said, I remember reading Crazy Love by Francis Chan like 10 years ago, and he was like, put down the book right now and pause and pray. And if I'm honest in the safe place that is this podcast, I didn't put down the book and pause and pray. I just kept on reading. So you do what you want. You can pause now, have a bit of reflection, or keep on listening. Uh, let's open to some Q&R with Darren. So coming out of some of the stuff he shared on the front half, the conversation you're having, um, we'll open the floor for some, some Q&R. I'm just going to go for it. Um, my name's Emma. Um, this is something that we talked about, and maybe you hit on this a little bit in as you talk about consecrated leadership. Um, it sounds like you have a lot of people doing a lot of like fantastic things, whether it's through mission or through community groups, house groups, all of that. How do you actually uh, 
not keep tabs, but how do you measure like the consecration of people operating in those roles in leadership? How do you actually make sure that that is something that is well stewarded from the top down so that you don't have crisis coming out of people in leadership positions in mission or like home groups or anything? This is a great question. Um, First of all, this idea of consecrated leadership is probably six months old for us. So we've been rolling this out as we've been seeing the struggles of leaders um, dealing with issues. And I think, and I want to, I want to make sure you hear like the danger of even talking about this without context is you can build a Pharisaic culture, this, you know, religious um, spirit can enter into the church, which I think is, that's, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I would say one of the, the ways we've been rolling this out, and it's how I believe all culture is built in a church. Um, so if you want your church to be missional, the question is, how are you as the core leadership, like whatever model you have, elders, council, step, like the, whatever, the core has to embody the culture. You have to embody as the, as the leader. So like, so, so for us, the way we roll anything out, the way we built a, a ministry empowered by the spirit is every elder meeting, every staff meeting had ministry time where we would prophesy, pray, we would worship and be in the presence of God. And so every single meeting would have a variation of that. So as we started rolling out consecrated um, leadership, there's two primary things we went after. And I could share the, the thing as I talk later, but we talked about two things. Number one is that we can have no secrets. And so the, the, rather than giving a list of here's what consecration looks like, it was like, hey, we're going to start with, we're going to confess the things that we're hiding. And we're talking the core. So there's five of us at the core. And then I went to our staff, 15. And then it went to um, our core leadership team of 20 something. And then it went to a house church pastors gathering. And then what we started as a result in the last couple of months is a, a leadership community. I was just telling Jason, we're, we've been changing once a month our Sunday gatherings to where we cut it short and have a leadership community immediately following our Sunday gatherings so that we can um, have all leaders have a meal together. And we're, we're bringing this idea, this concept to them because we feel like it's so important. It needs to change the structure of our church. So we started with the core and we began with, hey, what are the what are the things you're hiding? Let's recognize that there's a new standard we're in being invited into, but it's going to take a, t- uh, a season of grace and confession to get free from these things. So the two things we really landed on um, was one, we are leading people into freedom. So if there's any addiction, if there's any struggle that we're not confessing, let's confess it and be on the road to freedom. And our goal will be, as we move forward in the next year, our vision will be in June 2023, that there will be no one in leadership that hasn't had a year of freedom. Um, A new standard we're seeing is as we recognize the world's struggles, we want our people to set captives free. We want them to live with a a breakthrough lifestyle, knowing that, hey, there's going to be stumbles and there's going to be grace and we're going to have those conversations. But the new expectation is leading towards freedom. There are no secrets. And I'm not saying you should be confessing to everyone. You should have a core, safe community. In fact, today, this Sunday, we're preparing a leadership community where I'm going to talk about some things I'll share in a little bit. 
And the whole leadership community will be confession. It will be, we're going to go, I'm going to lead them through systematic, how you can prepare your heart to, to confess to one another. The second piece on this that we we're just landing on, because I think it's going to be something that we build over time is generosity. We feel like um, one of the things we saw in 2021 is uh, that people started holding back, right? Because inflation and you know not knowing what's going to happen, and so these are the new standards. So we're saying, as we as we believe God, and this I'm not saying this is prescriptive. I'm just saying this is what God's doing in our church right now. We just feel like God is calling us into something unique, um, as an example. So we are rolling these conversations out in teams, like because my worship pastor has covenant relationship with her worship team, so she's been having these conversations. Our house church pastors, um, a guy overseeing house church pastors having it there. We're having it with kids, leaders, not all kids volunteers, but kids leaders. And it's kind of just trickling out right now. And um, that we don't have like a expected, we have guidelines for leadership in our church, but this is something far more compelling. At this point in our conversation, the theme shifted gears a little bit. And one of the participants from the incubator raised a question or a theme that I know many, if not all of us, are thinking about. And she raised a question in light of the news of scandal and immorality that's coming out in the public space about high-profile pastors who are having affairs or mishandling money or power or whatever it might be. And I know this is something that is a bigger conversation. And so I know Darren's response and what we're having here today doesn't even fully go deep enough, but it's part of the conversation. We felt like it was important to share this element with you. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think my heart is really broken for um, the bride. And I think I've lived with this hope that the church would, the leadership in church would live congruent with the life and way and message of Jesus. Um, and I think we continue to, to do something that is um, problematic and that's the celebrity culture. We, we have really, oh, let me say this. So I think the answer is to stop paying attention to these pastors in significant places. Like, I, I don't know why everyone's obsessed with megachurch pastors. And I'm just going to say this. You can, you're, I'm not going to hear from you again. So we have taken what should be saints that we focus on in, this, in Jesus, and we've replaced saints with celebrities. And saints were ordinary people that you could follow who lived a remarkable life of radical, ordinary obedience to Jesus. And what we've replaced it with is success and wealth and, and conferences and and Instagram followers, and we see it over and over again, the failure of leaders because they're not building ministry on character. They're not, build, they're not building ministry on the way of Jesus. They're selling Jesus truth, but not embodying the way. And I do think we're at this crisis point where we're, the, the God is shaking his church and he wants men and women who live congruent to the truth, the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. And I think we've, we've replaced this idea that we can sell spiritual goods and get really good at communicating and selling goods and not live the way of Jesus. And that has to stop. And the truth is you will continue to see, I think in the next few years, we will see, I was just telling Jason, we'll see more transition 
in the church like we, we've never seen. More failures, more height, like it's all going to be exposed, exposed. And I think that's God's doing. I think he's, and this is my like, you can just take it for whatever it is. I think God's judging the church in the West because we've married politics. We've married celebrity culture. We've married power into the church. And Jesus said, you will not have any of that. He will not share his glory with those things. And we have to look to Christ and his way, which is humble. It's holy. Um, it's uh, healthy. Um, and that's a whole soul care conversation. Like the future leader in the, in, the, in the West that will be significant is hungry for God's presence, holy, humble, and healthy. And I know Mark Sayers coined those and I have his permission is to use them. So um, I have my own thing on that. But I just say, follow Jesus into the quiet place. Get really good at worshiping Jesus when no one's around. Read scripture, not because you're just focusing on practices, because you fell in love with scripture. Even when you don't feel like it, do it, but fall in love with scripture. Don't pay attention to the the noisy stuff out there. You don't need more practice. You need character. You need you need re- revelation from God, and He's available for you. And as long as we continue to idolize these people, we won't see. We we will continue to be heartbroken. I think what's happening, the the framework I'll use is borrowed from R. T. Kendall, um, and he talks about the anointed, the the new man or the anointed man or woman, and I think what we're what the shift that's happening is God's moving um, from a Saul to a David, and the Saul has the platform, the name, the power, the wealth, the the conferences, like all of the worldly success that's gone with the church. But he's moved now to David's, who are men and women living in obscurity, who are nameless, who are shepherding in fields, who are fighting off bears and and lions, who have have the anointing, the Holy Spirit is upon them. And, and he is, he's anointing them right now. So it's this moment where the mega churches continue to do their thing. And there's, and some of you are part of those things, <clears throat> but there's a, a tectonic shift happening in the spiritual world where these people are, are, are going to continue to do their thing while the new thing is emerging. And the new thing we're a part of is going to look different. It's not a rejection. It's just the spirits now moving on and God's looking for men and women. He can trust where their goal isn't the platform, the, the book deals and the, the brand. Their, their goal is the kingdom of God and the Jesus. Like they don't want to be famous on earth. They want to be famous in heaven and, and known in hell. And I think that's, that's the heart, I think, of what God's looking for is that, that, that David, you know, the, the, men and, the men and women who are going to be obedient to the spirit and who will reject those things um, for, for sold out faith. Um, in Jesus. So anyways, Darren, I want to hand it to you. You can do whatever you want. You, you've been, you can carry on right. on the theme of consecration as long as you want, as long as we've got at least 10 minutes, we'll end on the hour okay. to pray together. Um, or, or if you want to engage more questions, I'll hand it to you. Just lead the, the next right. 30 minutes is yours to share what's on your heart, but then, and then to pray for us and to engage how you want. Great. Um, so how much time did you say I have right now? 20? Uh, we want to end on the hour. So, and if we leave 10 for uh, right. some ministry time, right. so you yeah. take 20. So I don't, you know, I don't know the context and I just thought I'd share my perspective and see, so you guys don't know me, you know, I'm friends with Jason and I, I do think the Lord is doing something. I want to speak to this concept of as leaders, how do we prepare for God's new thing? And I, I think this can be, 
like, okay, you can talk about revival and reformation, or you can just talk about the new thing God's doing in our church and locally. Like how, how do you prepare for like a local renewal in your community? Is it, is because if you've led long enough, you, you will see a cycle of renewal in the church. Like I've been going 14 years and there have been moments where God just does something and it just moves. I remember in 2015, we, we set this goal of baptizing a hundred new Christians in that one ministry year. And it was like a weird, like audacious goal. God, we baptized like 101 people that year. And it was just a remarkable thing. When our church was 350 or so people, that's what happened that year. And I remember that, but I look back going, God sovereignly did something in our church. And then, you know, then you get back into ordinary season for life, you know, and or, or for, for church life. And then, then he doesn't, but I feel like we all, we all know there's something going on. And, and um, Mark Sayers in Reappearing Church, I want to read this. He says, as we study how God brings renewal throughout history, we, we begin to see the pattern that crisis plays in renewal. A community may experience a natural disaster, a war, and be pushed back into God. An individual may experience a period of wilderness and isolation, crying out to God, who then comes to them in their pain. This person gains spiritual depth, being renewed, becoming an influencer for God. Crisis and transitions that they bring are one of the critical ways that God uses to move us. And we're all coming out of crisis. We're looking at another crisis across the globe. And the question is, how do you prepare? How can you prepare as a leader for what's coming? I want to I want to sh- frame this time, and I'm going to do it quickly uh, in Joshua. And I just I think Joshua three is a, is a brilliant example for how you might see leadership in this next season. Like Moses is dead. The book of Joshua begins with this: "Hey, Moses, my servant, is dead." Moses was the most significant leader up until this point in Israel's history, um, and so Joshua begins his ministry with the death of this epic servant. And we can all think about this. Like some of us are taking over churches after the founder left or a founder's leaving and there's a new season on our church. So what are some of the things that we can prepare our community for and how do we lead them into this next season? Joshua 3 verse 1, um, Joshua's already been given the command to be the leader who will fulfill a 500 plus year promise like approximately, like the promise is the promised land, this land, the inheritance of God's people. And Joshua gets to be the person that leads them into the promised land. Um, and I want to, I want to show you something that happens from this text um, and what Joshua does to prepare the people. In Joshua 3, it says this, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officer went throughout the camp giving orders. When you see the Ark, the covenant of the Lord your God, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark, and do not go near it. So the first observation I have, and I just want to share with you, is if you look on a map of where Israel is camping um, and from, uh, from Shinom to crossing the Jordan, Jordan, the, the walk was like a mile and a half. It was a couple of miles away. Um, it wasn't a significant trip. And I was thinking about this, like how many of you, do you guys camp? Anyone camp? Uh, I don't know what it's like outdoorsy in Canada. Like I go camping all the time with my family. One time I took my, my three-year-old 
and my five-year-old camping, my six-year-old and three-year-old camping um, by myself without my wife. And I don't know about you, but there's an entire industry designed to help you camp with luxury and comfort. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry. But the amount of work required to sleep outside with two kids was absolutely insane. Um, and it was exhausting. And it was, it was like so overwhelming because all the food, I had a sound machine for my three-year-old, I had a travel cot, like I had all this stuff. And to pick up that stuff and move it like a mile and a half to only to camp again, I was like, why would they do that? And I realized that the people of God um, and p- as people, we get comfortable wherever we are. Like you can, you literally, if you set up camp, you'll make it as comfortable as possible to sleep outside. You're sleeping outside, but you will do everything you can to make it as comfortable as possible. This is what we do as humans. So how do you prepare for God's new thing? I think it's in this moment, like they move and they, and they, they, they move from one campsite to another. That's only like a mile and a half. And I think it's this, you, you have to intentionally disrupt your comforts to reestablish your convictions. If you want to prepare for what God's going to do next, you must take an evaluation for your church community, for you as your leadership team, you personally, where are you comfortable? Disrupt the comforts and reestablish the convictions. So the people of God are going to be people who uh, follow the word of the Lord and follow his presence. As they enter into the land of abundance, they have to get rid of the comforts in that moment and be prepared. So we disrupt our comforts to reestablish our convictions. And I, I would say as a leader, you need to look at ways you've settled into your leadership. You've settled into false identity. You've settled into careerism. You've settled into ministry. Like we do this because we've always done this. You settle into uh, association. You settle into old ways and old habits. You settle into depending on your talent, not on the presence of God. You settle in so many ways and you need to disrupt your comfort. So I would just do an in-house, where are you comfortable? And my wife and I do this every year. We, we put everything on the table and say, hey, is God saying sell our house again? Or are we here? And uh, how much is our tithe going to be this year? Because we keep increasing it. Like we don't want to live with comfort. Um, we don't want to live uh, without being dependent in everything for the Lord. I'm going to go fast because I only got a couple more times and I got two more things to say. The second thing is Joshua 3, 5. So Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things. So what you, you have to recognize is comfort leads to compromise. This is the call for leadership in the future is that we disrupt the comforts and identify the compromise and we repent from the compromise. And I'm going to go after this for a second because I think compromise is not as black and white as alcohol because you don't have, you can drink alcohol. I'm not saying alcohol is bad. Six years ago, the Lord told me to give up alcohol. And it was the hard, I was doing theology on tap, Bible studies. We were doing uh, brewery and, and Jesus uh, nights. Like it was amazing. And I had a dream and my, I shared it with my wife and she interpreted it how I interpreted it. And I gave up alcohol and it's been six years. And I said yes to that. And I would ne- never thought I would be someone who doesn't drink alcohol. Um, and the Lord invited me into this, but then it led to this Nazarite vow and it led to the season of minimalism. It led to selling everything, giving it away. And, um, it led to this extravagant abundance in God. Um, and it led to a renewal that I'm still, I'm still experiencing because of this little, like, no, it's when you say no, or when you say yes to the things that God's inviting you into, 
Um, it comes with intimacy. It comes with revelation. It comes with a greater abundance of intimacy and, and power. And I think power was the result of o- obedience. Um, it came with authority. I can go off on that. I don't have time. Um, but I believe consecration for leaders needs to be a one-on-one with God. Examine me, God. Search my heart. Um, I was in the shower the other day. And I was just talking to God and I was like, Lord, I love, because I've had this real intimate space since November of this year, of last year, I've had this really intimate dialogue with God. And I'm saying that going, it hasn't always been like this. I've had this really unique dialogue with Jesus or God, the father actually. And I was like, I really enjoy this. I was talking to him. I was like, where else in my mind, where else in my, where in my life am I not allowing you to speak to me in my mind? And he says, when you watch shows. Um, and he's like, Darren, I want you to enjoy shows, but you check out through shows. And it was just this conviction. And here's the truth. I haven't, I haven't said, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? Cause I don't want to give up anything, but, and I'm not saying I'm going to have to, but I know as leaders, we have escape mechanisms that are compromised and they're compromised for some of us because we've heard God say, let this go son, or let this go little girl. And we haven't let it go. And it could, it might be Instagram for you. It might be your Amazon Prime account. It might be um, Netflix. It might be food. It might be the fact that you're not Sabbathing. It might be the fact that you're not getting up to work out. And God's saying physical health is really important for you in the season because it's a window of soul care. And I meet with you when you're running. Um, it might be that you've scheduled meetings in the morning. And he says, I want you to be alone in prayer. I want you to be with your family. And you've been disobedient. All to say, however you let that go, What I know is this, in scripture and throughout history, consecration leads to visitation. Amazing things. They consecrate themselves. The Jordan Sea is going to part. I'll tell that story in a second. Also, consecration leads to the law coming, God coming down on the Mount Sinai and and law being given. Consecration brings glory to the temple. Consecration in the New Testament, there's stories of this, like you know, Pentecost comes in a scheduled festival where there was a season of consecration for the people of God. Um, the revival in Ephesus that happens in Acts 18, there's a little line at the end of Acts, I'm sorry, in Acts 19, in Acts 18, where it says that before Paul left Corinth, he cut his hair to complete a vow. What vow was he taking in Corinth? The Nazarite vow. And then he goes to Ephesus where he sees revival. I mean, these are things we miss. So we just got to pay attention to the fact that this is something that God brings to people in seasons of compromise to show um, faithfulness. And I just want to share this because it comes from a Canadian spiritual writer, Henry Blackaby. Um, He writes, um, um, this is from Simon Ponsonby, but Henry Blackaby has said that God's people can shape a nation if they are holy. He offered these challenging words that should cause all leaders uh, like you and I to search themselves. He says, I believe there is, there will be no revival in society without holiness in the leadership. None cry out unto God. All you want, he will not hear you put together all the phrases that revivalists of the generations have all quoted, and it will not make an ounce of difference to the heart of God. God is looking for holiness. Come on, let's go Canada. Um, so I believe we, God is looking for you to, to give up. Uh, compromise. And I already shared, I had more thoughts on this around holy, hungry, humble, and healthy. Um, I want to say healthy healthy in the church leader needs to be holistic, emotional health, relational health, physical health, mental health, and spiritual health. 
I believe you can't, we, we know that toxic behavior around emotions or relationships will cause you to fail. But I also believe that there's a time coming where we need to identify that our physical bodies are, are, are to be steward um, in a way that reveals the, the truth of Jesus. And that's a whole other conversation. The last thing I'll say is this, the miracle that takes place is the parting of the Jordan. And what's interesting about the story is um, Joshua is told by God that the priests are to carry the covenant, uh, the Ark of the Covenant into the water. Um, and then, then the flood, the, the, the river will stop flowing and they'll walk on dry ground. Now, if you remember the story of the Red Sea, you would remember that Moses touched the staff into the water. The miracle was no one got wet. They all go, the Red Sea's parted. But what I think is required of us in this next season is faith. And faith, the faith you needed yesterday is not the kind of faith you need today. And so when God gives this command, hey, priests, get in the water. Like that's, that's a costly, risk, risky um, step out in faith. Their obedience requires everything of them. And some, you know, imagine what they're thinking. Like the story we heard was that God, like all you need to do is touch, touch the water and it would part. But no, no, no. This new miracle requires the leaders to get wet, get ankle deep, get uh, waist high into that water. Once you follow me there, then I'll do the miracle. And I think that's what's required of us in this season is that um, we have to obey God's word and follow God's presence with a renewed faith. And so faith yesterday is not faith today. And the faith you have today will not be the kind of faith you'll need for tomorrow. And so leaders need to have a renewed faith that requires, as John Peters, or sorry, John, John Wimber said, um, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It will require a, t- a kind of risk that costs you everything. It will cost your reputation. It will cost the uh, discomfort of getting in a cold river during flood season. It will cost you to look like a fool and be even more undignified to follow the presence where it's left, where he leads you. And so the future, like, how do you prepare? Well, I think it's three things. You intentionally disrupt comfort and you reestablish your convictions. You, you repent from compromise and you pursue consecration. And consecration is a moving target for each of you. And the last thing is you obey God's word and you follow his presence with renewed faith. And if you look at Joshua's testimony, Joshua was a man who meditated on the word of God, right? Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey everything I've commanded you. Meditate on the law, you know, day and night. Do not turn right or left. So he's formed by the word of God. But Joshua was also formed by the presence of God. He was a man who, when the the glory filled the tent and Moses met with God, he stayed in the tent. He stayed there. Like Exodus 33 said, Moses would return to the camp, but the young A, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. He stayed in the presence of God. And I just want to say this. You all need a practice where you're in the presence of God. You need a practice that allows you to sit in the presence of God and get comfortable in his presence and host his presence and learn to be in his presence. And, and I think that's that kind of discipline of the word and the presence will shape the next generation. So um, that's all I have. I, I could have preached probably for an hour on this, but I'm just going to, I'm going to let it be perfect timing, 10 minutes left. That those three things I think will not only help you as a leader, but help your leadership teams and uh, eventually your community prepare 
for the new thing God's doing. Just clearing the, you know, clearing the table for what He wants to do. Well, huge thanks to Darren for making time to be with the team at The Incubator and letting us share this with all of you today. And I hope that this format was compelling for you, that you were able to kind of imagine yourself in the Zoom room with us, asking these questions and having this conversation. And hey, if you want to learn more about The Incubator and stay in the know for our next intake, you can head to ccln.ca slash incubator. We're starting a new round of The Incubator in January of 2023. It's a program for senior pastors from Canada, keeping it under 20 people. So it's small, it's long. You can find out more about it online. Hey, and one more thing I want to tell you about before we go today, our friend Daryl Johnson, who many of you know, is a close friend of CCLN and of the podcast. And he's one of my favorite Bible teachers on planet earth today. He's been preaching the Bible for over 50 years and it's his heart to give away as much of what he's learned as possible. So on June 3rd, we're going to be hosting a half day seminar with Daryl to serve preachers about preaching. And this likely won't be the only seminar we do like this with Daryl, but it's the first hopefully of many in the next couple years where he can take us deeper and deeper into the life of the preacher. In this seminar specifically, Daryl will share a biblical vision for preaching. He's going to invite us into his own process of how he structures a message and show us how to deliver a sermon that captures people's hearts and minds. And so if you're in the Vancouver area, you can come join us in person. We're hosting at Strathcona Church, but we're going to be streaming it online as well. So you can learn more and register at daryljohnson.ca or at the link in the podcast description. That is all from me today. We love you all so much. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.